Hello and welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. Now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Obviously, there's only one place to start this week, um, and it's in the wake of the uh, US elections. I'm not going to get into the US elections. I'm not going to get into uh, the aftermath, uh, who won or whatever. I'm, I'm gonna you know, assume, uh, like I believe, from a poll that I saw 80% of Americans believe that uh, uh, now possibly President-elect Joe Biden won. So we're gonna talk about what a, uh, a Biden administration could look like for Israel. The first thing that we should do when we're talking about uh, a, a possible uh, Biden administration is to look back in his past. This is someone who's been in uh, you know, American public life for 40 years, perhaps even longer. Um, and so he's got a very long record and he's also got a very long relationship with Israel. It actually goes back to 1973. There's a very famous uh, sort of uh, uh, visit that he likes, he has brought up on many occasions, Joe Biden, uh, that he came, uh, uh, I believe it was a few weeks even before the uh, Yom Kippur War in 1973. And he had a very long conversation with Golda Meir, who was the prime minister at the time. Obviously, those who know the history know that the Yom Kippur War did certainly catch uh, Israeli leaders out. They didn't. They 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 thought there might be something, but they didn't expect uh, war to happen when it did. Um, but Golda Meir certainly uh, gave Joe Biden a sort of rundown on Israel's uh, security uh, fears, security challenges, and I believe he was a senator to Del for Delaware. If I'm not much mistaken, he was a brand new or relatively new. And he describes that uh, that particular meeting, uh, conversation with Golda Meir is one of the most important of his life. And it's clear throughout the years that although uh, Joe Biden, uh, certainly not, um, uh, you know, uh, towed the line, let's say, on every single uh, Israeli government, he would describe himself, and I think it's quite fair to say that he considers himself a friend of Israel. If we look at uh, uh, during the 80s, there was a in a major discussion on whether to uh, provide Israel with uh, military aid, three billion in military aid, uh, which Israel still receives today. And he was a massive advocate, but he basically said, this is the best money that we could spend. Um, if we didn't have an Israel in the Middle East, we would have to create one and it would cost a lot more. These were very prescient words because uh, that basic aid package was, after much debate was passed, a few years previously, there was actually a very, um, a very famous uh, meeting between Menachem Begin, who was the prime minister, I believe it was in 1982. So it would have been towards the end of uh, Menachem Begin's uh, uh, tenure as prime minister, that uh, he was threatened uh, with, the, with the use of aid, other types of aid at that point, uh, civilian aid. He was threatened by Joe Biden uh, at that point, uh, if, they didn't, if Israel didn't stop building and expanding settlements in Judea and Samaria, then uh, aid could be serious. 
actually quite taught by Menachem Begin that says, I'm not a trembling diaspora Jew or something like that. I'm not a trembling Jew who's used to threats. You can say what you like. We will do what's good for Israel. Um, so we see sort of two sides to the Biden relationship with Israel. He's a very strong supporter of military aid, defense. To a certain extent, you could argue that was very much uh, the Obama administration's line, that as far as security and defense needs, Israel would get whatever it's needed. But on settlements, a very, very strong critic uh, of uh, what Israel does there. Uh, we fast forward to when he was vice president. Um, Joe Biden, as I said, has very, very close relationships. Uh, he at one point said, uh, uh, I think it was to, to a Jewish Federation's dinner uh, a few years ago, he, he picked up on Derma, Israel's ambassador to, uh, to the US and a very close ally of uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. And he said, tell Bibi, I love him, but I don't believe a word he says. And I think that also characterizes also where the Obama administration was uh, that they didn't believe uh, Netanyahu. They didn't have a good and close relationship with Netanyahu. In fact, uh, Joe Biden as vice president was sent to Israel on many occasions because of his personal relationships, but to deliver uh, a harsh sort of message, but in a sugar-coated way. There was a very famous moment uh, when he was in Israel and uh, the uh, interior ministry um, released, uh, I can't remember exactly what stage it was, it was some bureaucratic stage to expand a, uh, a Jewish suburb, an Israeli suburb in East Jerusalem over the Green Line. And that became a massive diplomatic incident. Uh, it became very famous because, you know, uh, I can't remember exactly who it was, one of was it Ben Rose? One of uh, Obama's uh, uh, close advisors said you never uh, miss an opportunity in a crisis, and that certainly was one. And Biden, uh, Secretary of State at the time, Clinton, and President Obama used this against uh, the Israeli government to the point where they had to apologize and then basically put in a series of measures to make sure that there were no surprises in the future and even tap down the level of uh, settlement building and various other measures. Um, so we can see, you know, as I said, do we see that it will go back to where we were with President Obama? I don't think so. But will we see the warm friendship that we've seen under President Trump? Also not. Possibly and probably somewhere in the middle. I do believe, uh, and a lot of Israelis do believe, that Joe Biden has a warmth and affection for Israel. Uh, but at the same time, he does believe very strongly in the Palestinian cause. Um, and he's worked very hard to try and uh, sort of uh, move to uh, between the two. Um, uh, you know, if we can even look at the Vice President Kamala Harris, there's a big debate here. Is she part of the extreme left, the progressive wing? But if you actually look at her record on Israel, it's very, very strong. She's been a big supporter of JNF in the past, the Jewish National Fund. Uh, in fact, uh, she voted against and voiced her strong opposition to. Uh, I don't know, you know if, if everyone remembers uh, the last month of the Obama administration, there was a resolution, Security Council resolution um, 2334, if I remember correctly, uh, which was basically to uh, slam the settlements as illegal against international law. It was a one-sided uh, resolution, which we see all the time come up in the Security Council. And 99 times out of 100, the US uses its veto. And it was remarkable or not that uh, the Obama administration decided to abstain, which meant that the veto was not used and the resolution passed. And that was seen as a party gift for Netanyahu, 
which the Obama administration certainly saw as a major obstacle to moving forward uh, during their tenure. Uh, don't forget, within eight years, there was only really one or two meetings face-to-face uh, -face of Israeli and Palestinian leaders, and that didn't last long. And that was at the end of a forced uh, moratorium on settlement building in 2009. So there was zero success on the Palestinian issue during uh, the Obama administration. Um, what there was, interestingly, what, what, what some people are saying that uh, probably the most important thing the Obama, Obama administration did was in its outreach, uh, and it's, let's just say it's getting closer to Iran, it actually managed to push Israel and the Sunni nations uh, closer together. We've seen recently these normalization uh, agreements uh, with Israel and the UAE and Bahrain and to a lesser extent Sudan. And while obviously President Trump midwife these uh, deals, probably the genesis for this close cooperation, I mean, there was even a little bit before, but was certainly uh, what they saw with the Obama administration, Secretary of State Kerry, uh, with, their, uh, with the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal, uh, the relief of Iranian sanctions, the uh, allowance of Iran to fill its coffers uh, with, uh, with uh, dollars, and the Iran Revolutionary Guards getting stronger, and, and all these sort of things happen under Obama administration, which had the knock-on and unintended effect, uh, perhaps, well, certainly unintended, to put uh, countries like Saudi Arabia, uh, UAE, uh, other Gulf nations, really uh, in the same corner as Israel, because they both see equally a great threat um, from an Iranian nuclear uh, uh, regime, which, uh, which is something that's been in the news recently as well. Obviously, without President Trump uh, in the office, perhaps uh, it's, it's unlikely that uh, President Biden will be pushing that. Maybe he'll return to the inside out uh, policies as opposed to the outside in. What do I mean by that is this idea of linkage. You know, many uh, administrations going back, uh, you know, perhaps Carter, President Carter, even before, had this belief, very certain belief, that Israel cannot have peace in the region until it has peace with the Palestinians. That's the inside out, the, the idea of linkage. Everything goes through Ramallah and Jerusalem. Well, President Trump has certainly shown that that's not true. Uh, that you can certainly have peace with uh, nations in the region without having to move an inch on the Palestinian uh, issue or the peace process. Um, so that, that sort of, that, that's definitely a, a fallacy which has been broken now. It remains to be seen whether, uh, uh, you know, a President Biden fills some of the relevant uh, departments or relevant positions with some of the people that worked on these issues in the Obama administration because that, as I said earlier, didn't work, and uh, you know it 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 had a failed uh, 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 policy, which basically rested on a fallacy. I mean, there's a famous recording of Secretary of State Kerry said, "If any Israeli leader believes that they can have peace with any Arab nation before moving on the Palestinian issue, they are absolutely wrong." Well, that's proven to be incorrect. So it remains to be seen exactly whether they'll revert to that theory, even though it's been discredited. Uh, other things to look out for, very important, is how much influence the growing progressive wing uh, in the Democratic Party will have. Obviously, uh, there are certain elements there, Ilan Omar and some others, who are vociferously anti-Israel. And they are growing force in the Democratic Party. Um, so it will be seen if there's any sort of olive branch to that wing. 
whether Biden has enough cachet in the party uh, to be able to push a more moderate uh, vision for in foreign policy generally. Um, what we will see certainly is a return to multilateralism. I think you know one of the first steps that he'll take is a return to the uh, World Health Organization, uh, whether it is also probably funding UNRWA, refunding UNRWA, uh, giving funds to the Palestinian Authority, uh, two things that uh, President uh, uh, Trump stopped, also closing down the PLO office in Washington uh, and the American consulate, uh, the, the American consulate for the PA in Jerusalem. I think these will all be moved back, uh, returned, let's say. I do not believe, and uh, Joe Biden himself has said that they'll return the American embassy to Tel Aviv. He was against it at the time. But don't forget, Joe Biden is one of those people who supported the original uh, uh, US Embassy Act in Jerusalem. Uh, so he's not against it. He just thinks the timing was wrong. But I don't believe that uh, that will be uh, reversed under his tenure. The second thing to look out for is what happens in the end uh, in the Senate, because obviously the Senate can be a, a counterbalance uh, for certain actions uh, taken by a presidency, obviously. Um, that remains to be seen. I understand that there's going to be some runoffs in January and uh, the balance is extremely finely, uh, you know, sort of tilted at the moment where one is two races and that could basically affect uh, the whole sort of uh, race in the Senate. Uh, so obviously that could have impact not just on Israel, but on, on general uh, foreign policy. So these are all questions that certainly need to be uh, looked at. But I think, I, I don't think we'll see a return to the Obama uh, presidency, but we certainly won't see a continuation of the Trump presidency either. And moving back uh, a little bit more locally, it's certainly uh, a blow for Prime Minister Tineo, or almost certain that will go for elections within the next year, and possibly even uh, elections will be called in December because a budget still hasn't been uh, uh, even brought up, let alone discussed, and it needs to be passed uh, by late December. So really the clock is ticking. Uh, there's talk of blue and white uh, being split in half with those who've just had enough of what they uh, say is um, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's digging his heels in and basically looking for any excuse to break up the coalition. Um, but uh, what, we what we will see is a, a big car taken away from Prime Minister Netanyahu in elections because the three elections we had in a row one of the big cards that he played was his relationship with President Trump. And we saw it on billboards, we saw it on campaign videos. It was used again and again and again. So that will be a big blow uh, to him. And, and I'm sure that uh, President-elect Biden will have uh, paid close attention to the way that uh, Trump and Netanyahu helped each other during uh, those elections. So I don't think there'll be any free rides for Netanyahu. Um, and also another way you can tell how uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is preparing for elections is that uh, he's trying to delay the court case. If we go for elections in December, in the middle of uh, the campaign, we'll be seeing a Prime Minister sitting in court, in a criminal court, perhaps day after day, or at least a certain amount of days in a week. And we just heard uh, today that uh, Netanyahu's lawyers are now trying to delay it on procedural matters, really like sort of regular, reg uh, relatively minor procedural matters. And if he's able to push that off for a few months, until after the elections, which would take place in March, uh, that would obviously be a big boost. Uh, so that's obviously uh, with an eye uh, 
uh, to possible elections being called in December. A lot of people are pretty much accepting the fact that elections will be called in, in December. I don't believe that Netanyahu has completely made up his mind yet. I think a lot will depend on a few other factors. Uh, what we heard from Pfizer with the vaccination, that's a very big issue. If we can be seen as moving forward and out of coronavirus, that will obviously put the public in a better mood and put the incumbent in a better place uh, going into elections. So this is all what's been going on this week, and I'm happy to answer any questions on any of the issues or anything else. All right, thank you so much. Um, so the first one in is, was there any sort of political motivation between the, behind Benny Gantz congratulating Biden before Netanyahu? Well, there was there's a big discussion about that. There was it was almost a sort of BB watch um, when when the major networks in America uh, called the elections for Joe Biden. There was a lot of people saying, "Let's see what's going to happen." Because to be fair, the prime minister was in a bit of a sticky situation. I mean, regardless of what happens, President Trump is president for, for another couple of months. And as we've seen with previous administrations, you're allowed to still. You know, sign executive orders, you're allowed to, you could take many, many steps. Um, so he didn't want to anger uh, President Trump, uh, who's been a very close friend and ally, as I said. And on the other hand, he had, he, he understands that he's going to be working with Joe Biden for at least four years. So he really had to tread that uh, very uh, carefully. And if you see, he didn't use the words president-elect in his tweet. Uh, he congratulated uh, Joe Biden, but it wasn't the full-throated congratulations. It's obviously much easier for Benny Gantz and others to do so because they don't have that relationship with President Trump. Um, I don't believe it was coordinated. Uh, there were discussions within each party or with each advisors exactly when and how should be the level of uh, congratulations. But again, um, even on the left in Israel, not the far left, but on the left, um, you know, the majority of Israelis have been very supportive of President Trump uh, these last four years and very grateful for some of the steps that he's taken. Uh, so it's not easy even for those on the left uh, to sort of say goodbye uh, to Trump, especially with what is relative unknown uh, for the next four years. So there has been a certain level of skepticism of how much of a friend to Israel Trump really is. Um, our, our viewer thinks it might be a ploy uh, in deceiving both Israelis and evangelicals for Trump's personal political benefit. Uh, can you comment on this? And would Biden might actually be a more honest partner? Um, also, the first thing, you know, that's for some, that's for a psychoanalyst to look at. I can't tell you know exactly what the motivations. I mean, President Trump has said on many occasions that he moved the embassy to Jerusalem for the evangelicals more than he did for the Jews or for Israel. Uh, and obviously the evangelicals are a much greater voting bloc than the Jewish uh, population in, in America. So that would make perfect political sense. Um, you know, it, it, it remains to be seen. It's, it's one for the historians to go back and, uh, you know, sort of explore uh, maybe maybe President Trump himself will one day explain uh, why he took some of these moves. Uh, it was certainly, you know, steps that were taken that, that as I said, almost all of Israel, um, I would say at least three quarters of uh, Israelis uh, were supportive of, um, you know, whether it was to move the embassy to Jerusalem, this is consensus in Israel, uh, to recognize Golan, this is consensus in Israel. 
to take a harsher uh, stand against UNRWA, which is considered a, a, a very a failing organization at best, and one that's possibly even involved in terrorist activity at worst. This is not what I'm saying it is. I'm saying this is the uh, perception of the Israelis. So, you know, it's, it's, it, it remains to be seen exactly what the motivation was. Um, can uh, President Biden become more of an honest broker? It, 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 it's hard to even know what that means because, you know, basically, regardless of whether it's been a Republican administration or a Democratic administration for the last 20, what is it, uh, 27 years since the Oslo process began, regardless if it was more favorable to the Palestinians or seemingly more favorable to Israelis, the Palestinians have not been able to make a deal. They've never said yes to any of the offers, the extremely generous offers of Ehud Barak under uh, Bill Clinton, uh, under uh, uh, Ehud Olmert, uh, under um, uh, the Obama administration, I believe it was. Either way, uh, the, the one, one thing that, that seems to be constant is Palestinian rejectionism. So I'm not sure that the fact that Trump couldn't bring them to the table, Obama couldn't bring them to the table, and many others brought them to the table but couldn't get them to say yes to any deal. So I'm not sure that uh, President Biden will have any more success than any of his predecessors. Do you see the US rejoining the JCPOA? And if so, with what modifications? I think, I think they certainly will try. Um, I don't know exactly the legal ramifications uh, for rejoining it. In fact, there was talk of the uh, Trump administration trying to rejoin just so they could snap back uh, sanctions because of uh, what Iran was doing. We talked about that a, a few weeks ago. Um, I'm, you know, I, I'm certain that there'll be very strong voices within uh, a Biden administration that will try and get back into some sort of uh, Iran deal. Uh, it's something that the Obama administration was one of the highlights of their foreign policy. Uh, you know, uh, and and you know, Vice President Biden at the time was, was a, a, you know, a very uh, major part of that. Um, perhaps they can use it some leverage. I'm sure the Iranians are already uh, considering very carefully what they're going to do. They were one of the first to congratulate Joe Biden, which sees that they certainly see an opportunity in a Biden presidency, but it remains to be seen whether uh, a, a Biden administration can navigate that strategically and perhaps even use uh, the fact that uh, uh, the Trump administration removed itself from the JCPO. Maybe they can use that uh, for leverage against the Iranian regime, but um, if it's going to be anything like the, the Obama administration, we see that the Iranians will come out uh, in, a, in a pretty good shape. And how will the a possible Biden presidency impact on future ties with Oman, Saudi Arabia, and Morocco? Well, that, that's 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 the question. Um, you know, if, if we, again, you know, we just go back to the Obama administration, and you know, it basically reached out even to Turkey. We could talk about Turkey a little bit to to some of the the, the sort of Gulf Sunni pragmatic nations. Uh, you know, sort of, uh, let's just say, opponents stroke enemies in Turkey, in Iran. And, you know, they were, they were not happy with the Obama administration. And that is, as I said, one of the drivers uh, behind what we now see as the normalization between uh, Israel and some of these nations. Um, so again, just, just sort of, if we look at the Obama administration as, as an example, if they are going to go back and try and 
uh, you know, sort of go back into the JCPOA, that will certainly be something that the Gulf nations will not be happy about. And they'll certainly make that, you know, everything comes at a cost. And uh, again, may be seen how Erdogan, uh, President Erdogan in Turkey is handled because uh, probably neither, you know, neither Obama nor Trump really handled that situation particularly well. And Erdogan has become more, more and more of a force uh, in the region and even beyond. So has there been any speculation or do you have any knowledge of um, who, uh, who Biden would possibly choose as a US ambassador to Israel and any possibility that Friedman would be retained? I, I don't know exactly how it works uh, in the US system, whether you know, you automatically retain whether you have the possibility of changing. So I, I, I'm not familiar enough with that um, that area, but it's clear that uh, Ambassador Freeman is very, very close to Trump. Uh, he was a personal, you know, I think he was a lawyer, he was a bankruptcy lawyer for him before, very personal, uh, that was a personal uh, appointment. And I'm sure that uh, if, he, if he can, I'm sure uh, President Biden uh, would remove you know, sort of uh, uh, President Trump's personal appointments, not just in Israel, perhaps around the world. But again, I don't know exactly how it works, but usually from what I've seen, they, you know, they usually want someone in there who will express their policies. And you can see that Ambassador Freeman is uh, actually even on the hawkish side of the uh, Trump administration when it comes to Israel, uh, the Palestinians uh, and Iran. So I can't imagine that uh, if uh, President Biden has the opportunity to retain or dismiss him, that he will retain him. And we were discussing earlier the uh, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. How much pressure do you think that they might put on Biden to weaken his support of Israel? Well, that's more of an internal American uh, question, which I'm not as familiar with. But um, it, it all depends how how strong a president uh, he is and and where he sees. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure he'll be doing his own. And his advisors will be doing uh, their sort of own internal accounting to see where the party is, where they can, you know, make gains or whatever. As I said, you know, Biden is a moderate. He's not. He's not in the far left. Uh, Kamala Harris is certainly, uh, you know, well, she's been painted uh, as very anti-Israel, but certainly she she's certainly not. So at least, you know, in those two, we have some. We have two who see themselves as friends of Israel. Do we? Well, they agree everything that Israel does, absolutely not. But we see two very close friends of Israel. Um, but it remains to be seen which side wins out, I guess, in Congress um, on, on the Israel issue, whether it's as it has been up until now, you know, the Democratic Party, even in Congress, regardless of some of these outspoken uh, 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 critics, we still see that the Democratic Party has been largely centrist, especially on Israel, bipartisan when it comes to Israel, although obviously that's been shaken in the last few years. Um, but I, I guess it's, 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 it's a question which I'm not necessarily suited to answer because I, I don't know some of the new uh, Congress men and women and senators who are coming in, which, which wing of the Democratic uh, Party they represent. Um, but it's certainly something that uh, I'm sure our people in Washington are keeping an eye on um, to see what, what can be done, who to reach out to, who they can talk to. But hopefully we can get back to some sort of bipartisan support of Israel, which has been shaken, as I said, over the last few years. But uh, as I said, uh, only when the results come in and people do their tallies and start figuring out 
how, how much strengthened or weakened the progressive wing has become uh, when we begin to understand its power. So back to Israel. How significant is Danny Danone's new job as head of World Lukun? Uh, what power does this give him and does that job serve as a springboard to anything else? I worked with Danny Danone when he was uh, previous head of World Likud many, many years ago, and he got to where he was. He became, uh, was he ever a minister? He, he was deputy minister of defense and then ambassador to the world and held, held, many, held many positions. Sorry. This is birthday, one second. It's not an overly significant position, but what he did do is he did uh, oust uh, uh, a Netanyahu loyalist in uh, Mickey Zohar, uh, completely outplayed him in that area, and uh, he took over World Likud. World Likud is an important fundraising organization. It has control in some of the uh, Zionist national <coughs> institutions, um, but it's a good position for him to continue getting his name up because he still sees himself as a potential successor to Netanyahu in the future, so it's a good springboard for that. Well, thank you so much. And real quick in our last minute here, can you just give us an update on the COVID situation in Israel? Well, we're supposedly slowly moving out of our second wave, but people are already talking about third wave because the numbers are already starting to move up a little bit. It remains to be seen. Um, obviously, the Pfizer announcement is positive, um, not just seen here, but all around the world. Um, but certainly the situation is starting already to turn a little bit. They're talking about delaying some of the uh, uh, release of uh, re uh, relief of restrictions here. Um, there's the, there are many different discussions, but all the experts seem to say that the numbers are starting to be worrying. Again, and rather than a third stage releasing the restrictions, people now thought talking about a third possible lockdown, perhaps after the Hanukkah, uh, Christmas holidays, but certainly things are not looking as great as they were a couple of weeks ago. It's unfortunate to hear, but oh, we're all going through it here as well. Numbers are up. Um, all right, so <laughs> unfortunately, we could run around to you again for taking time to speak with us this week. Um, for our viewers, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Sully Houdiar. DR, uh, discussing persecuting Uyghurs, silent Muslim leaders. Thank you all for joining us and have a great day.